0: Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast where I am joined by one of my colleagues Charlie Maurice. My name is Beverly Flynn and I head up the commercial and data protection team here at SMB and Charlie heads up the IT and together we work quite often on GDPR related matters. As head of data protection it would be a bit unusual if I were to interview myself so Charlie has kindly agreed to step in so thank you Charlie. No
1: problem at all, I'm pleased pleased to be here. Hello everybody.
0: Great. So um, there's been a lot going on in the world of GDPR, and when we're looking at our master services agreements and Ts and Cs, um, we've also had Brexit, and um, there's also been kind of changes in the news that we're hearing about. In light of Brexit, all those changes, is there anything specific that you would say that we need to think about um, in our standard terms conditions and our master services agreements or outsourced arrangements, Charlie?
1: yeah well i mean i think the 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 things to think about broadly are there's a sort of a wider context to to all of this and then really how does that play out in practice what does that look like for you in your in your documentation um and you know frankly on which whichever side of the fence you're on um i think you know for today's purposes i'm not going to, to go into the detail of, of the law but it's 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 fair to say that that now we've had a bit of time post Brexit, we're beginning. Well, we're understanding how things are um, are playing out in practice, as well as what the law actually says. Um, at, at the moment, the the law broadly um, follows what it what it looked like under the under the EU version of the GDPR, and we have a we have a, a UK version that is UK specific. Um, under the the there are some differences, but broadly they're they're similar. I think. The first point to say is let's see how that plays out again in, in in due course there's 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 um there's certainly scope for that to differ as, as we as we move along um but where what that actually means in practice um is that i think the first point to, mo- to note is that whilst the law broadly remains very similar some of the references in fact are are different entirely and so the first point to say is, is have you looked at your, your, your contracts, your terms and conditions, your master services agreements, whatever they may be, with a critical eye in the view of uh, data protection changes uh, post Brexit? And you know, does it, for example, do those documents, for example, refer to EU laws, when in reality, we should be referring now to, to UK laws? Um, and, and does that make a difference if it does? What, what, what's the effect of that? Well, I think one of the points to, to think about is perhaps if you're a supplier, are you being asked to comply with a set of laws actually that is that is too broad? Are you being asked to say, well, look, we, can, we will be providing our services in accordance with, with a set of laws that actually no longer apply to us in the wider sense? Um, maybe that's the case, um, or maybe it isn't, but I think it's just looking at that with a critical eye to say, is what is in the document appropriate now, given the scope of what we're supplying and, um, and the scope of the law in the, in the UK?
0: So, Charlie, uh, I think what you're saying is the devil is in the detail, as is often the case, and you need to decide whether you're going to comply with EU GDPR, UK GDPR or EU and UK GDPR. And you need to make sure the definitions are correct, because if you'd only referred to EU GDPR in the past, um, that may be too wide or it may be too narrow.
1: Exactly, that's exactly right and and it will differ depending on whether you're a customer or a supplier or whatever your role is in the in the data in the data matrix essentially
0: understood um i'm starting to see um references to representatives kicking in is that something that we need to be aware of
1: yeah it is uh, it, it's and it, and it goes both ways if you are a uk business and you're and you're doing business in in the EU, um, you may need to have a, a representative within the European Union. Um, and likewise, if you are a, an EU business doing doing um, doing business and processing data in the UK, then you may need to have a, a a UK representative. And essentially, what the representative is doing is acting as a point of contact for you as a as a controller um, in, within the within the jurisdiction in which w- that is relevant. Um, and some of that is a is a sort of a um, an administrative role, um, and some of that is a sort of a, i.e., you know, fielding fielding post, etc. And some of that is is essentially taking, you know, being clear being clear with the regulators that that there is a um, that there is a presence that can be appropriately contacted in, for example, in the event of an issue um, or a data breach, for example. Um, it, it there's a fairly well trodden path to appointing representatives but i think the first point obviously is, is do you actually need one um and um, and there are various elements to to that um including um you know frankly where you are processing data processing personal data and the types of data that's being processed
0: that that makes complete sense to me but then again i'm a data protection lawyer so <laughs> <laughs> and and um the the final probably change that we we should touch on is the transfers abroad i yeah. mean any thoughts on that and then i'll ask you the kind of if you're acting for the supplier if you're acting for the customer what would you look at but let's just maybe touch on that for change first if that's
1: okay yeah absolutely i think you know previously under the old uh, pre-brexit um we were obviously part of the the european economic area um there were there were well-established provisions that were current that were were in the process of, of, of being amended but there were well-established provisions that allowed for transfers of data in certain circumstances outside of the EEA, um, that continues, but obviously the UK is no longer part of that. And so we are now in the, in the territory of having essentially two sets of rules as to how data can flow across borders, you know, in and around the UK and then around the, the European economic area. Um, I think the thing to think about is, is, where is the controller located and and what are they then doing so for example if a uk business is is wanting to send data outside of the uk then it will need to ensure that it has uh, appropriate safeguards as, as the phrase goes um in place to allow that transfer um and likewise vice versa for the for the eea but they may not be exactly the same and we've well they're not exactly the same anymore that we have we've seen recently um new rules for the uk being brought out um that you would then need to use in order to do that uh, and likewise there are separate sets of rules for, for ea
0: yeah and and often when i'm reviewing contracts a, a kind of red flag to me that the the entity may not be up to date is if i see references to privacy shield or yes, exactly. references to safe harbor for the us or if i see just a clause that deals with transfers outside the EA and I know well actually these days you also have to deal with transfers outside the UK so that yeah. clause isn't up to date so that kind of makes me wonder whether or not they've put in place the right model clauses because
1: yeah. if
0: I'm right um, we now have to look at whether or not there's um, appropriate safeguards and whether or not it's white listed and if it's not white listed then the appropriate safeguards can be the model clauses but you then have to consider whether you use the EU model clauses and or the UK model clause well not model clauses addendum or IDTA so it's quite a complicated um, set of circumstances where if the T's and C's themselves haven't taken account of it it makes you wonder whether they've done it behind the scenes would that be a fair
1: yeah I'd say that's a fair thing and I think the thing to really also take away as a practical level is that this is quite a fast-moving area of what, it, yeah. in my opinion, is the, the fastest-moving area of data protection law. Um, and, um, you know, being, frankly, the first step is being aware of where you're sending data and what you're doing with it. And, and in many cases, that's actually half the battle of establishing that. But, but if you can really critically work out what, what, what you're doing with that data, um mapping then the legal position on top of that and, and kind of making sure the documentation matches that becomes a much much well certainly a much easier straight uh, much easier position
0: and i suppose that the last thing i would say is when i'm looking at the transfer clauses often now if you're acting with the processor you get asked for a, a transfer risk assessment mm-hmm. tr i a and again if a transfer impact assessment if people haven't got those or um, businesses haven't undertaken them that again is a slight why not because everyone is now starting yeah. to undertake those so i suppose that's probably another little thing to be prepared for um, yeah for sure so um, i was going to kind of turn it round a little bit and say if you are acting for the supplier what terms in an msa would you consider tweaking and then i'll ask the other the way if that's all right charlie and it's not too putting yeah, you no, on the
1: spot no that's fine i think it's a good it's a good good way of looking at it i think from a supplier's perspective and i think this has always been the case but i think even more so now um the onus is on you as a supplier if you can to try and make sure that your contractual documentation is as narrowly construed as as it can be um and and i don't mean by that uh, you know to to make it you know not do the right job. What I mean is really to be to be clear that what you are committing to from a data protection standpoint uh, matches the the service offering that or service or goods offering you're you are supplying, um, and that you are not being asked to to comply with with something that 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 is too broad and that you may not actually have been able to to do. Um, so we talked about. I won't label the point on this. We talked about, you know, making amendments to, to the way wording is is set out, the definitions, all of that stuff. That, that that's absolutely the case. I think then from an international transfer perspective, it's working out whether uh you are receiving data from from outside the jurisdiction in which you're you're based in, and whether you're then subsequently sending it further to, to subprocessors and making sure that that, that Chain of of transfer is is appropriately documented. Um, we've talked about you know the safeguards, model clauses, etc., that might be used in that circumstance. Um, there are lots of different ways in which that can be be manifested. But again, as a supplier, you want to make sure that that is as clear as it can be and is and and frankly, is as permissive as you can allow it to enable you to carry out your business. Um, I agree.
0: I mean, often what you do when acting for the supplier is make that clause as permissive as possible. Yeah but then prepare yourself behind the scenes because you've got a savvy purchaser who's going to ask all those questions about the model clauses and transfer impact yeah. assessment.
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, a really classic example is a supplier that is then subcontracting or outsourcing some of its offering um, to, to another jurisdiction. Um, you, you might find that in any kind of sales context, that's that's pretty straightforward. So, oh, of course we're doing this. This is just how our business works. But from a data flow standpoint, that then needs to be adequately documented um and in a way frankly that enables you to 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 do to carry out your business
0: and then turning it on its head if you're acting for a customer what protections would you now be looking for in your standard terms or your purchase msa's or purchase yeah
1: term? i mean i think the first point to say is often often the customer will be a controller um in a data protection standpoint now that that differs depending on what's going on but but often that's the case um and and where that and with that in mind the customer needs to be aware that it is it still retains responsibility including post brexit for what's happening with the data um and so conversely you know the, the 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 point from a contract negotiation standpoint the data protection provisions generally and the compliance obligations on the processor ought ideally to be as wide as they can be now sure that's subject to negotiation but that is that is the position to take if you can um, and then just you know taking the point on data transfers, it's, it, it's ensuring then again that that actually you remain in control over what's happening with that data um, And and are you are you allowing a supplier for example to do more than is necessary in order to to do what they're what they are supplying you with or processing the data on your behalf um, and if it, and it's worth at that point just having a little think back to some of those overriding gdpr principles that we all probably brought you to tears with back in 2018 um, and to say well look am i actually still complying with those principles for example you know data minimization you know am i processing it only so far as is necessary still given the complexities of the transfer landscape is that still actually the case for what we're doing or are we um allowing something to happen here that actually probably doesn't need to happen um, so see. it's looking at it with that critical eye i think
0: yeah no i i get that and then just lastly i'm conscious of time mm, sure. i suppose um and it's, this isn't pure data protection but when i'm acting for the customer and i know you charlie as well um you're often very mindful as to whether or not the limits on liability exclude in yeah. their complete exclusion loss of data because how does that sit with um you know the obligation of a controller to ensure that personal data is well protected
1: yeah well i mean i, I think liability and and data protection is is a conversation we've been having <laughs> <laughs> almost almost well daily for, for the last you know since the implementation of gdpr but in particular but um I think it's fair to say that that we have seen the evolution of a much more sophisticated landscape when it comes to liability and data protection. And what I mean by that is, originally people were very keen to to impose unlimited liability on on all sorts of elements. Um, It is now much more likely that there will be some sort of limit on a processor's liability often in any kind of contracting sense that 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 might have a kind of a sophisticated element to it so you might have a a separate limit on on a certain type of liability and then as you say Beverly what happens about loss of data well clearly a a supplier may well try and limit or exclude their liability for that entirely Um, again I think you know clearly the, the negotiation position will differ depending on which side of the fence is on but it but it is difficult i think as a supplier really to justify why one should take no reliability for in that kind of scenario um when when it often is is a feature of the processing and so um from a controller's perspective that is definitely the kind of argument to try and to try yeah. and take is to say you know is this reasonable really when actually you are doing you are doing we are contracting you to do this if you lose the if you lose the data entirely um you know that's that that may well constitute a data breach uh should you have no liability for that well the answer is patently, no if you can avoid that yeah
0: and the customer of course risks the four percent of global turnover indeed yeah fine which you know isn't just of its entity it's of the whole group so um yeah i think it's something to spend a little bit of time on Indeed. Well, thank you. That was the ma- a very quick canter
1: through <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, data protection uh, in the context of MSAs and terms and conditions conditions. Um, thank you, Charlie.
1: Thank you, Beverly. Thanks, everyone. Bye.